0: Uh, study this morning a life of faith now last time we were burying a patriarch right we were looking at Genesis chapter 25 and the death of Abraham and I thought well this would be just a natural segue into continuing this whole study on the life of faith a pattern in using the life of the descendants of Abraham uh, chiefly Isaac and then Jacob and I want to look at Joseph also um, the book of Genesis is a, a book that really highlights about 10 generations of people. All right. One of the things, and I think it's Warren Wiersbe who titles his commentary on this section as Be Authentic in this part of Genesis. Uh, one thing about the book of Genesis, and maybe you've already discovered it, is it doesn't paint men and women in any better light than they really are. Um, but it gets to the heart of who they are. And you see that in those that are studied anyways, those that are written about. Uh, Abraham was like that. Abraham was a, an authentic person, all right, a real person, lived in history, but he was also a man that was subject to the same temptations as others are, and his wife, Sarah, as well, and their children, and you go down through their life, and, and really, I think it was Mr. Dowie said that the Bible uh, puts men as men at their best, and that's it, they're just men at their best, all right, and I would say women at their best as, as well, which falls short of who god is but patterns for us those that by faith all right chose to follow that holy god that perfect god and i hope that that's your choice as well and as we've gone through this section we've looked at it now i took the title and outline of this section from warren weirsby so it's not original with me but i was looking at it and i thought well i really don't know if i could come up with something better and it was very poignant Um, he titles this uh, like father like son almost all right you've heard that phrase like father like son and often our children our sons and our daughters have characteristics of us good and bad right and that just follows with that but they're they're their own unique people also Um, we don't have clones of ourselves at least not yet I hope not but you know I I don't think that would go over well uh, someone have a clone of me okay I have to live with me, and that's hard enough. And I wouldn't want to live with two of me, all right? But I, I would say it this way that uh, often what we learn and are patterned in our homes does follow us. And yet we also can rise above some of those things that are bad things, and we can rise be- or we can go below the things that we know because we're individuals with a will. So we are going to look at these characters. We're going to spend some time with Isaac for a while and uh, that we've already looked at Isaac Isaac was um, the son of promise as remember God who called Abraham out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees and went to show him a land he hadn't seen and he told him he was going to be a father of many people so many that you couldn't number them it would be like the sands of the sea on the shore uh, innumerable and the stars of heaven innumerable and a, a child was going to come through that relationship of his wife, Sarah, and him. The only thing is, we find out that when he was 65 uh, or uh, 70, I guess, when he left and all that stuff, he, he received the promise of, from God. And it would be a full 25 years from that time uh, later to when the plan was, was fully realized. And then he would be 100 years old, actually, when Isaac would be born okay that's a long time leaving and then at age 75 excuse me not 65 at age 75 he left land of the chaldees and then at age 100 he would receive the son of promise isaac we learned a little bit about isaac we know that he was part of god's plan right and that god had promised he would bring forth a son in in this case in old age and sarah was 90 at the time when she had him All right. We know that later on he was called to be a sacrifice and Abraham was called to sacrifice his only son. That's Genesis chapter 22. We spent a lot of time on that chapter and we looked at it and we looked at the fact that he was a living sacrifice. In reality, he he went out and he willingly Isaac willingly went with his father Uh, I don't know if he knew all the details yet. He didn't, because we know that he states to his father, well, there's the wood, right? And he saw the animal, he saw all that, or excuse me, he saw the wood and the sacrifice. He was wondering where the sacrifice was, and and he didn't realize he was fully going to be the sacrifice, but he was willing. He was willing. Anyways, read Genesis 22 on that. We don't have a lot about Isaac's life in comparison to his father's life, Abraham. Uh, we have six chapters devoted to his life here in the genesis record and only one verse in the book of hebrews that actually refers to isaac and that's hebrews chapter 11 and in verse 9 it says by faith he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country dwelling in tents with isaac and jacob and the heirs with him of the same promise now that's in reference to abraham and his descendants But we we have him listed there. Yet he was a man of faith, and he was part of God's plan. And so we're going to look at that today. And if you want the outline, uh, the first part, and it's somewhat what we covered last time, but we didn't go in great detail in the first part of Genesis 25, we have the account of the death of Abraham and the inheritance that was received. And we're just going to read that in Genesis 25 verses 1 to 6. Abraham again took a wife. This is after the death of his wife Sarah. Abraham Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shuha. Jokshan begot Sheba and Dedan, and the sons of Dedan were Ashurim and Letushim. Excuse me, and Lemuminim. Oh, I don't know if I pronounced that right, but you can see we struggle with those, right? And the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanak, Abidah, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. And Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. There's Isaac again, okay? And it says, But Abraham gave gifts to the sons of the concubines, which Abraham had. And while he was still living, he sent them eastward, away from Isaac, his son, to the country of the east. Now these are the children of that were born uh, outside, really, the plan of God. And the one prominent one of that uh, was, of course, Ishmael, right? We learned about Ishmael back there in the Genesis record as well. Um, And he was born to Hagar, who was a servant in the household of Sarah and Abraham. Um, She would be listed as, the word would be a concubine, I guess. That's the old word To say someone who is born or has had a relationship sexually with someone outside of their marriage. Now, you might say, boy, that casts a big shadow on Abraham. It's the reality of Abraham's life, all right? He was a sinner. That was not part of God's plan, and actually, there were consequences to that. But in fact, God would use that, even in our sometimes bad decisions that we make, God can use them still. He's always going to accomplish his work and his plan. But he'll still use it for greater glory. And he's able to do that. And we see that that is just the reality in his life. And by the way, in his day, it was very acceptable for men to do that. And by the way, there are things in our world today, culturally, that are acceptable. They're not right. We have to be careful with that. And yet, God doesn't wince over it or just leave it out there for no one to talk about. He hits it head on. And it's written about here in that anyways back to this sent them eastward though there were those children and we don't know how many we know for sure of Ishmael and they were to be sent away we know that Ishmael would have been present there also in that same section that he was there at the death of Abraham the very next verses talk about the death of Abraham at 165 years old he dies and that inheritance goes into effect At that point. So you know that. And Isaac. His son. Would have received an inheritance. And it says that Abraham gave gifts to the sons. But he gave all to Isaac. Verse 9 it says this. And this is at the burial of Abraham. And his sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in a cave. At Machpelah. Which is before Mamre. In the field of Ephron. The son of Zohar. The Hittite. And so we have a historical account of the death of a patriarch, but we have also the historical record of the inheritance that was given, and it was given to the son of promise, which was Isaac. So that's why I want to go and and look at Isaac's life in that. By the way, as we've gone through this, we find out that, that the book of Genesis is full of types, right, or shadows of another thing. It's not necessarily the substance, but something that points to a greater. And it's really the story of redemption. It's the story of God's Savior god's messiah that would come out of mankind he would be perfect holy harmless undefiled but the rest of us born in adam's race we aren't all holy or harmless or undefiled we're sinners in need of a savior and the book of genesis talks about that and it points to a greater who is to come well we find out that back there in um, in the life of abraham when ishmael was is born and You can look at that in in Genesis 17. Um, He was the son that was the son of the flesh, right? The product of the flesh solely. It was a scheme that Sarah, his wife, came up with. She was barren and she felt that this would be the way we should do this. And so she told her husband, go to Hagar and have a child with Hagar. Now, you know that that didn't turn out well, did it? caused division in a household it caused division for hagar it caused division for sarah and it sin always does that by the way it breaks up uh, unity of a household or a, a family or a nation or wherever it, that's the way it works but he still established a covenant and you find out that later he would establish in that covenant with ishmael he was still going to bless ishmael but he establishes his covenant that was directly connected to the promise god made him which gave Abraham the promise that multitude of seeds would come from his son um, and, and multiple descendants out of that and he established that with Isaac and that's clear in scripture you can read that again in uh, Genesis 17 verse 21 and we see it also in Romans chapter 9 but Ishmael pictures the natural or unsaved person that cannot receive the things of God And I want to speak to that for just a moment. The book of Corinthians, the letter written to the Corinthians, um, Paul writes in the New Testament, he says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And I want to say this, in the type that Ishmael portrays, he portrays the natural man. The man who cannot receive the inheritance of his father. He's a man driven by his own lusts and passions and not controlled by anything. And he's the man that it was not chosen of the Father simply because he was a product of the flesh. Now there's a picture of that. It isn't, we're not going to go too deep into Ishmael and Isaac of that. But in the natural man, you cannot, if you're a natural person, and the word natural means that you're still in your sin. You're not, uh, You have not been born again into the family of God. You're not one of God's children by faith you cannot receive the things of God you can't even know them and I say this in my own life that is why uh, during my teenage years when I was uh, you know given opportunities to study the Bible sometimes or uh, catechism or religion those kind of things it really didn't make any sense to me I would read the Bible and I'd like yeah that's a good book but it's not really for me you know why because I was a natural man I could not receive the things of the Spirit of God, because they're only discerned spiritually. And it was when I finally understood, and I bowed my heart before God, my knee before God, and I said, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I need salvation. And he had already begun to illuminate my mind and my heart and reprove me of my sin. His work is always ongoing that way in our world. But then he began to make me understand the importance of walking with Christ and spiritually receiving him. That's what salvation is about. Salvation is about receiving Christ by faith, turning from our sin to Him, and you can't do that in the flesh. There's no way. There's not. First and foremost, you're not good enough. I'm not good enough. Our best of works that we do in our flesh, as Isaiah puts it, they're like filthy rags. If I came to church today and I didn't have a tie on and all that, uh, but I just put on just bloody rag, that's what the word means in the Hebrew, filthy. If I just came all covered in blood and, and all the, the, the product of the flesh, really, that's what it would show, and all torn up, you guys would say, something's wrong with him. Well, guess what? As a sinner, that's how we look. And even our best of people and our best of actions still fall short of the glory of God because we're sinners. We're in the natural. We're Ishmael, spiritually speaking. But we have Isaac who is pictured for us as the one who was not a product of the flesh. He was a product of the divine, right? Sarah's 90 years old. Abraham's a hundred. They're past those years of childbearing and she had been barren her whole life. And God brings life out of a barren woman and again he pictures for us what god can do because spiritually we're dead to the lord in our sin but he can bring life out of a dead sinner i hope you know the lord if you find the things of the spirit of god foolishness i would say you're probably in the natural man camp (laughs) very clear because that's what paul says in this verse 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 says this, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, and by the way, I say this every time I come to it, the word obedience implies you have to exercise your will. And it also implies you, don't, you can be disobedient. So when the Lord comes to you and says, you need to be saved, you need to be saved from your sin, and you know that, and you say, no, I don't want that, you're being disobedient to the gospel. It's that simple. It's not disobedient to me not being disobedient to others, it's being disobedient to God. Because it's the only way out of our sin. But he says, Peter says to those that he's writing to, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit, in sincere love of the brethren. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. Having been, there it is, born again. The term born again is a Bible word. And it means to be uh, reborn Spiritually. All right. Not of corruptible seed. See, the corruptible seed is pictured in the relationship of Hagar and Abraham and Ishmael. He was not the son of promise. He was the son that came out of a relationship that man schemed and tried to fix God's plan didn't work. But look, but not of corruptible seed. It says through the word of God which lives and abides forever. You want to know how you're saved? You're saved through the word of God, hearing the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God and by the spirit of God who convicts and reproves and illuminates and we say, Lord, I will now trust you and you're born again at that point. It's that simple. That's what the Bible teaches. We know that that was a type in the book of Genesis because Paul, the apostle later on in the New Testament, alludes to it. He says this in Galatians 4, verse 28. Now we brethren, he's talking to the church, as Isaac was, are children of promise. And there he connects the birth of Isaac with those who have believed and are part of the church at Galatia. Just so you know that. So I would say that that's for all those who believe in this age. We know that It is not by the things that we do that can save us. And we have spiritual blessings that we inherit by being part of the family of God. If you're a Christian, truly a Christian, not just in name only, but you have been born again, you have the riches of Christ. You will inherit those fully someday. Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have everything that is His in heaven, in Christ. Chapter 1, verse 11, he says, In Him, that's Jesus Christ, also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. And then verse 18 of that same chapter the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints you can't get away from the fact that you have an inheritance that's something to look forward to Uh, uh, some of us aren't going to have much of an inheritance to give to the next generation monetarily in this life right, and maybe you do have something you can leave behind well Abraham left something to Isaac right but Really, the truth and the most important inheritance you can leave to the next generation is a legacy of faith. A legacy of belief and truth in the living, true, one God. That's the greatest thing you can leave. Your children or your grandchildren. We see that he received his father's inheritance. And he received that. um, That's Isaac. But he also... Prayed to his father's God, and that's important, and it shows us the character and the position of Isaac. He didn't just, you know, accept the fact that he was Abraham's son and go through life as saying, well, being the son of Abraham, I must be important, because Abraham was important. Uh, He was a man of great power and wealth by the end of his life. And you would think, well, that's enough for some, but it was more than that. He wanted the God of Abraham and a relationship with him. And that's really what we see in his life. And I think it's important because, again, the Lord wants us to pass on the faith to the next generation. He does. And that may not be direct blood descendants, right? Some of you have influence on people in your circle of friends and family. Um, or you're here at church in a Sunday school somewhere and... Those aren't your children or your, your you know, peers, right? Necessarily. Um, but you have an influence on them like that. And that's the great thing about the faith of Christ is it isn't passed on through blood. His blood, but not ours. It's not passed on through progeneration that way. Psalm 90 verse 1 says, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. And I'm mindful that since the very creation and since man who is created, and, and the, the first man, Adam, all the way through, there has been a generation of faith. And they have known God, and there's been a lot that haven't known God. And we know that there are more on the path to not knowing, and on the path to hell, than there are on those that are on the righteous path. Jesus said that, didn't he? Nevertheless, people of faith in every generation that's a great promise found from the Psalms. Well, we'll look at a little bit about the home of uh, Isaac. We know that in our previous study, he found a wife, right? Uh, God found that wife for him and divinely brought them together. And you have the story there of Rebekah. And we looked at that earlier in chapter 24, uh, a bride for Isaac. And we see her again in this section. And if you want a little bit of a, more of an outline of this section of verses 19 to 34, the first point is this. You see a devoted home. A devoted home. It's a very important thing. Okay, uh, The devoted home, we don't know a lot about exactly how they operated every day in their home. But we do see faith exercised in both Isaac's life and in Rebekah's life. And by the, way, by the way, they weren't perfect people, all right? But they were people of faith. And it was important in their lives. And we find out that actually uh, Rebecca appears in the, in the next section and all that about her to be more aggressive in some ways in the faith. In the, not in a bad way, sometimes a little bit of scheming going on, things like that. But she seemed to take things, uh, at least on what we know the account, very seriously. And so did Isaac. But we don't know as much about him and what his heart, maybe some of the things there. But we do know that even as a young man, and probably as a young teenager, he was led up there on Mount Moriah, and he willingly gave himself to the use of uh, his father, really, as a sacrifice. And we know that God didn't sacrifice him. Instead, God provided a ram in the place of Isaac, another type or a picture of the gospel. That it wasn't me and you that had to go to the cross, but Jesus, God's son. That went to the cross. And he died in our place. The guilty for the, or excuse me, the innocent for the guilty. And the guilt of all the world's sin placed on Christ. Oh, I'm so thankful for that. We're called to be a living sacrifice, aren't we? Romans chapter 12. We know that. Well, let's pick this up. It says this this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as his wife. There it is. We know the, the time of his life when he got married to Rebekah. He was not a young man, although uh, looking back now, 40 is younger than where I am now. But he started uh, his family at age 40. The daughter of Bethuel, the si- Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. So you have a little more detail there about him. And we know um, that this home was a home that was devoted to In that they did that. But it was not a home that was entirely just, I guess what we say, um, just always filled with heaven. It was a disappointing home too. By the way, I don't know anybody that's ever been raised in a world um, anywhere that's not had disappointments in their home. Sometimes it's with your parents or someone else close to you in that home. Sometimes it's with a sibling. Sometimes it's with somebody you know, a child that's wayward. There's disappointments that go on in the home. But God is faithful and be thankful for that. And it's possible to have that kind of a disappointing home. We find out here there were some disappointments that wasn't necessarily of their own making. In this case, it was disappointing because it wasn't a baby that came right along. It says, Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. By the way, we know what age that Isaac uh, had a son, and it was when he was 60. So he had a 20-year window there where he and his wife didn't have a child. You know, I don't know how old or you know, young in the sense of when she started, uh, they started trying to have a child but for his wife, but she was pushing those years too. And every year that would go by, they didn't have a son. They didn't have a child. And the disappointment, that would have gone with that. And yet, God would hear his prayer and would know that. There are disappointments and sometimes delays and other things that happen. Some of them are of our own making. And some of them we have no choice in. A barren woman does not have a choice necessarily in that. Okay, Uh, That sometimes is just the way... Uh, things work in a broken world, in a fallen world. Our bodies don't always work the way we want them to work. And that's mysterious in many ways. But we know that there are no delays with God. God will appoint, whether it was Abraham, who was 100, and Sarah, his wife, 90, at the time they conceived, or later when Isaac and Rebekah would have a child. We know our times are in his hands. By the way, our times are in his hands from the moment of conception all the way through to death. You might not recognize that, but it is absolutely the way things are. The psalmist would write in Psalm 31:15: My times are in your hand. Deliver me from the hand of my enemies and from those who persecute me. And we realize that sometimes we face Uh, such persecution and hardship and others that our life is at stake here but remember if you're gods you're in his hand and you know what no one will ever pluck you out of his hand even death won't pluck you out of his hand you go to be with him in that we know that isaac was a man of prayer Um, he it says there in genesis that he pleaded on behalf of his barren wife And he went to the right source, to God, in that. I think it's important to do that. By the way, if Rebecca had remained barren, how would God's promise have continued through um, Abraham's? Remember the Abraham promise, Abrahamic promise, that God would somehow make him a father of a multitude. And yet, if his son didn't have any children, how would that continue, right? You see that. So when Isaac is praying, he's praying in faith. We don't know exactly how his heart attitude was, but we do know that he had gone to the Lord, the God of his father, and he was pleading on behalf of that promise. By the way, when we go to God in prayer, we do so based on the promises of God. He's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He's promised to save us to the uttermost. He's promised to provide daily for us. He's promised to give us victory even over our enemies. And that victory may not be something in this life, but victory even through death. Oh, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, right? You remember the promise that was given to Abraham back there, Genesis 15, 5. There's three occasions where God tells Abraham of his promise. And and in Genesis 12, and then 13 and 15, and actually in Genesis 17 as well, he reiterates the promise that he had been given. In Genesis fifteen five, it says, Then he brought him outside and said, All right, this is Abraham being brought out. The Lord says to him, Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Wow. Promises of God well there are disappointments that come in a home and sometimes like I said there are things that we do not control but we give them to God and that's all you can do and it's everything that you can do as well well we find that there was a distressed home and I might say this that I don't know of a home that hasn't had some kind of distress or stress in that home it happens and one problem would lead to another well Rebecca's pregnancy was a difficult one And it says that in Genesis chapter 25, verse 22, she conceived, right? And it says, But the children struggled together within her. Children. She had two children in her womb twins, twin boys. And she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two people shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. Wow. Important verse there because it's prophetic. Uh, that was before they had sonograms or, you know, all the ultrasounds and blood tests and all those things. And you just knew there was something something was going on down there. And she knew that this pregnancy wasn't right. There was a struggle. That's how it's translated in English. The word in verse 22 but the children struggled together within her now uh, i have never been pregnant and contrary to what they tell you out there men don't get pregnant all right and from a man's perspective i've never felt a baby inside me okay um my wife having four children all right uh when, you know, I remember those times, man, I would look over there and I'd see her stomach mm-hmm, like this. And I'm like, man, there's something in there, you know, and it dawned on me, wow, there's life in there. And I'd touch her belly and I know if you've had a pregnant wife, maybe you've done this. And boom, man, the child would kick back. I think Lydia kicked the hardest. But you know what? I look at it and I think, wow, there's there's life. But here there's something wrong. The word struggle means they were crushing one another. They were smashing each other. There was a fight going on in the womb. Whoa. (laughs) Yeah, some brothers are like that, right? (laughs) And some some children are like, some twins are like that. That's what was going on. And she knew something wasn't right. She goes to the Lord. Oh, Lord, what's going on? The Lord says, let me let, let you in on a little secret. There are two nations in your womb. And those two nations are going to go... That's, that's When you say nations, that's a lot of people, all right? And they're going to fight like that. Look what it says. They shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other. And the older shall serve the younger. Now that's contrary to everything that was taught in that day. First of all, the older always received the inheritance. The older was the one who had the place of honor in the family lineup. It was the older who would receive the blessing of their father. And yet we know from the account later on in Genesis, it was just as God said that those two being born, it would be Jacob and Esau, uh, the, that Jacob, who was the younger, he was born after Esau, he would be the one that actually would be, uh, his brother would serve. And his, he would be the one who would end up being stronger. And yet he wasn't a stronger man. Very interesting. By the way, through scripture, there are all kinds of accounts of births, okay? And they're always unique. I I mean, there's certainly ones that we don't know the circumstance around their birth, like all those tough names I tried to read. Um, But there are some major ones that we know that there uh, there were these divine appointments. And sometimes, miraculously, they were born. And just ultimately by the grace of God. We think of Isaac here uh, in chapter 18. His birth, his conception was divine in that way. God had his mother at age 90 conceive. We find out the sons of Jacob who came from Isaac. They also, God had a plan for each and every one of them. And it's the sons, the 12, as we call the tribes of Jacob, uh, which are his name was changed to Israel, That he would form a nation. A very small little nation. But a very strong nation today. The very fact that Israel exists on a map. Shows that God is faithful to his promise. Then there was people like Moses. (laughs) Moses right. His birth was in trying times. Remember when Pharaoh said. Want all the male children separated when they're born. and, And kill them. Throw them in the Nile. Tough times to have a boy. Moses' mother feared God, and she put him in the Nile, just like just like Pharaoh commanded, but she put him in a little basket that floated, and God had the very right person to go and find Moses and raise him. And of course, it was Pharaoh's daughter who heard his crying. Her heart was moved. She takes a child. She raises that child as her own. Only one problem. It wasn't her child. She, wasn't, she didn't have milk to give him. She was not able to nurse. So she has to find a nurse. She finds out there's a nurse, a Hebrew nurse, that can take care of it. It happened to be Moses' mother. Isn't that great? God can do that. Moses. Wow. How about David or Samuel? Again, same thing. David, Ruth chapter 4, speaks of that. Before David was born, you have the story of Ruth, and we went through that story a couple, three years ago now, in the story of Ruth, and how this Moabite woman who had no place in Israel, no, she was actually part of a cursed people, and yet by grace she's grafted into the family of God, into the very place that she had to be, this Gentile woman who comes, and she ends up in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Because she's in the lineage of David. She's the well, one of David's grandmothers. Also the neighbor women gave him a name saying, There is a son born to Naomi. Now Naomi was Ruth's mother-in-law. And she had lost her children through tragedy. And yet now she had a grandson. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. Important people. Because it was through David that you would actually have the christ child born he would enter into the family of not only adam's race but specifically the race of of uh, uh, the hebrew people and he would be born in the house of david as the prophecy said all right enough of that Um, you could go on and on and on about that but i'll say this god always has his perfect timing And even though 20 years had passed and Rebecca had not conceived, his timing was going to be perfect. The same way he did it with Jesus Christ. Not too soon, not too late. The very moment in history, it is the very time that we looked forward to, we look back by faith, but his people and those that believed in Abraham's time, they looked ahead by faith. Galatians chapter 4 in the New Testament says, But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Why? Look at the next verse. To redeem us, right? To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. God is perfect in his timing. Aren't you glad for that? Well, as I said earlier, from our births, to our death, if you're the Lord's. And and by the way, everybody, not just those that are his, he holds those things every moment of life. There are really no accidental pregnancies, all right? I know somebody says that, but you know, every child is uh, someone and has a soul, a spirit, and they need the Lord. And you know, we should not interrupt that. God is God. He holds our life. He holds our death. Psalm 116, verse 15 Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Even through death, the Lord is there. And he counts it as precious. He counts life as precious. Psalm 139 For you, that's the Lord, formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. Listen, when there was a struggle going on in Rebecca's womb between two nations, God knew every bit of that. He knew every cell that was in those two sons, and he knew everything about us. When I was made in secret, and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, that's referenced, it's an idiom in Hebrew, meaning the very dust of the earth brought my life together. Just like how God took the dust of the earth with Adam and breathed life into it and he became a living soul. And you know what we are? We're basically just the dust of the earth put into and shaped into life. Only God can do that, by the way. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. He knew every bit of us even before we were made. And in your book they are all, all were written, the days fashioned for me when I was yet when yet there was none of them. And again we're just reminded. The Lord has his eye on us. We know that there are, there is further commentary. Um, and we know that in Romans chapter 9 in the New Testament. Specifically the Lord there through the Apostle Paul. Comments on this struggle that went on. Romans 9.10 says. And not only this but when Rebekah also had conceived by one man. "...even by our father Isaac, for the children not yet being born, nor having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to the election, might stand, not of works, but of him who calls. It was said to her, the older shall serve the younger." And so God had this plan, even before Isaac was going to have children, he had a plan. And he had a plan for those children. And listen... That's the kind of God we need. That's the kind of God we can trust. Because I look out at my world and if I was to plan what was taking place in the near future or even the distant future, I'd mess it all up. So would you. (laughs) But not God. His plan will work out. And I'll tell you, His plan is perfect. And His plan includes you and it includes me. And lastly, we see a divided home. A divided home. We read here in Genesis 24, 25, verse 24. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, red. <laughs> uh, and I, you read that, and you just have to stop. And it, it goes on to describe him. He, he was like a hairy garment all over. Wow. That's not what you probably want to see in the first child. But he was like a red garment all over. So they called his name Esau, which means red. All right? And that's what he was. his name would be. And look what it says. Afterward his brother came out. And his hand took hold of Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old. When she bore them. And so the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter. A man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau. Because he, hate, he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob it's a divided home it was divided from the very well in the womb at the birth as the children grew up later between the husband and the wife it was a divided home and they even have different names in that um, as I said the name given to Esau and we know a little bit about him it, it means to be red, and actually he's later called Edom and that's in Genesis twenty-five thirty. It says that Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. And it was like a nickname. Edom means red. And actually the same word that we get the word Adam from. And uh, Adam also means red. He was formed out of the dust of the earth. Maybe it was red dirt. I don't know. But his name was Adam. And Edom. And it's like a nickname for Esau. All right. Jacob also is sort of a nickname, it's a play on words, so you, so you know that. The root word of Jacob, alright, or in the Hebrew, uh, Yaakov, or Yaakov. it means may God protect. However, it also, the root of it is a word, akib, which means heal. And he was one who had literally came out grabbing the heel of his brother, and he would force his brother to trip all over him the rest of his life. When you grab somebody's heel, you, you're, you're a pain, aren't you? You're going you're gonna to trip them up. And that's what Jacob did. He's often, his name is synonymous with someone who is a subplanter or someone who is, uh, means to watch from behind or overtake. And Jacob was kind of like that. He always had a scheme going. He always had something. And Rebecca was a little bit, he was a lot like his mother in that way. And yet God would use it and would indeed fulfill his promises through these two lives. He would do that, and God's prediction or prophecy that He gives to Rebecca and to Jacob or to uh, Isaac uh, come true, absolutely come true, and we see that. Well, uh, the book of Hebrews, and I, I want to look at this and then sort of end here, because you look at, and I said earlier on, one of the things that you see in the book of Genesis is real people, authentic people, with their good things and the bad things. But one thing you'll find, there's someone who comes out of Jacob's line, Abraham's line, his name is Jesus. And he's the only one in human history who was perfect in every way. The only one who didn't sin. And he's the only one that qualifies to be our Savior, by the way. And this is what the writer of the book of Hebrews says in the New Testament. But he, that is Jesus, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. In other words, a priest is one who intercedes on behalf of others. And and, and he says, Jesus is our priest, and he he lives forever. We need that kind of priest. Every other priest will fail. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him. Good thing. Because I need someone who lives forever to save me forever. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For such a high priest was fitting for us. (laughs) Amen to that. Look at it says of him though. Who is holy, harmless, and undefiled. That's important because Jesus is our priest who didn't need a priest himself. He He was not a sinner. I'm a sinner. And I need someone to plead on my behalf before a holy God. And you know what? god the son came and he did that he gave himself as the sacrifice he's the one who paid for my salvation through death at the cross he goes on to say this separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices for his own sins and then for the people's for this he did once for all when he offered up himself my friends you have a savior a high priest who offered himself once for all. And that's what it means, once for all. He didn't have to do it again and again. He did it for you and did it for me. And if you'll believe on him, you'll enter into his family. You'll be born again. If you're a Christian, you follow in him, and, and you said, I've given my sin to him, and I've turned in faith and, and asked, you know, to become part of that family by faith, right? Well, you're part of that family. You need to walk obedient. And you need to know that God's given you purpose and direction and meaning to your life. You need to live for Him. Uh, As always, I'm around after church, you know. If you need more, you know, want somebody to pray with you or need more of these questions answered, I'd be happy to sit down with you and talk and show you from the Scripture how you can know that you're saved. Not because of who you are, but because of who He is. That's the one who did it all, once for all. Father, thank you for the Word of God. And Lord, as we look at this home of Rebecca and Isaac, we know it wasn't a perfect home, but it was a home, O oh Lord, that was devoted to you. And oh God, you blessed them for that. You brought up many from that household, many who would know you and trust you. And so Lord, we commit our ways to you today. And as always, if there's someone here or someone that's listening to this sermon, oh God, that you that they don't know you, that today would be that day they're introduced to you by faith. In the quietness of even this moment, they would just bow their heart, their mind, their life before you and say, Oh God, I need salvation. I'm a sinner. Please save me from my sin. Forgive me. And Lord, help me as I walk in your direction now, on your path. Thank you for such a Savior who is holy, harmless, and undefiled. And who is fitting for us.